Chapter 21 of The Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Chapter 21 The Faded Letter. I had not forgotten the night when the skinny guy and I had climbed to the window of the round tower of the lonely house, and had seen that old man inside that circular room, reading some old yellow papers by the light of a candle. I had thought about it more than I wrote down in this here book of mine, but today, while I was sitting alone in my writing room, something happened that makes it necessary for me to write about it again. You know... Most of the boys who saw the old man prowling around that lonely house thought it was a ghost. You can't blame them much. Lights in an old deserted house always start rumours like that. But somehow or other, after all the spooky things I had seen down in Cuba, I had come to believe that there are no ghosts. And I surely didn't believe that old man to be a ghost. Today, he walked into the clubhouse and... Are you alone? he asked in a high-pitched voice, a voice that was weakened by age. His face, as he looked at me, seemed troubled, and he had a nervous, worried look in his eye. "'I am all alone,' I said. "'Won't you sit down, please?' I had jumped to my feet and shoved a chair toward him as I spoke. He looked around in a nervous sort of way, as though he wasn't sure whether he should sit down or not. "'You can rest easy about me being alone,' I said, with a little laugh. "'I guess you are a stranger here, "'else you would know that I am the secretary of this little club. "'All the other boys are out on the river in their canoes.' "'The old man's head nodded vigorously. "'He took the chair. "'I don't like to intrude,' he said. "'I was never one to intrude. "'I always think a body should be announced, "'or at least knock before entering and all that.' "'But I have been so worried, boy. "'Would you do me a favour? "'If I'm able to do it,' I answered, "'I'll be glad to.' "'You look as though you might,' he said. "'He fumbled around in an inner pocket "'and drew forth a batch of musty-looking yellow papers. "'I wondered if these were the same papers "'that we had seen him studying "'in that little old room of the tower that night. "'I am old,' he continued, fingering the papers.' I am getting too old. Seems as though I shall never die. He looked up at me suddenly and caught the wonder written on my face. Please go on, I said. You want me to do you a favour, don't you? If you will, he said. And then, as he continued talking, he went slowly and carefully through the yellow papers. I have here a writing that I cannot make out. Even with my spectacles, I cannot read it. Perhaps you will do me the favour of reading what is written on this paper. Wait, I must have it here. There are so many. Ah, this is it. All the others I can read. But this one. Perhaps you will read it for me, boy. He held out to me a sheet of yellow paper. I took it and laid it flat upon the desk before me. The writing must have been done with pen and ink long years ago. 
It was so faded that I scarcely thought I would be able to do the old man the favour he asked of me. That is a letter, he said, a letter that was written long ago. If you will promise not to tell a soul what you see written there, I shall appreciate it, boy. If you want to do a favour for an old man who has not many more days to live upon this old earth. But I had hardly heard his last words. I was so interested in the writing. It was very faint, but I could make it out. Listen, I said, I shall read it to you. I can make it out, although the ink has faded badly. Here is what is written. And then I read the letter to him. It was written in a shaky hand, with the crossings of the T's stretched the whole width of a word, and the dottings of the I's in big blots. I will give a complete copy of this letter, so that you will understand why it made me wonder. My dear son, when I die, you shall be far from my house. I have arranged it so. There has been but one thing in my life that I worshipped, and that was gold. That there was plenty of it, you know, because it came down to me from your grandfather, and to him from your great-grandfather. I have been a miser, loving gold more than that which it would buy. In my old days I regret and repent, but I want to make sure that this shall not happen to you, that you shall not become a miser as I was. That is why I sent you so far from home. That is why I have hidden all this gold before I die. Perhaps the search for it will interest you. Perhaps you will have plenty of it by this time, so that you will not even care to bother about finding it. Grelario tells me that he can find you, so I am entrusting this letter in his care. Whichever the case may be, the gold has been hidden, and I, your father, am about to die. Should this letter ever come into your hands, understand that I have repented, that I send you even now my blessing, and that when my spirit passes, your name will be upon my lips, for I have always loved you, son, with an ever-increasing love that you will never understand, that you have been away from my side these many years, well, let us say that that was part of my earthly punishment. You will pray for me sometimes, I am sure. You were a good boy, always such a sweet little fair-haired boy, and you always loved me with such a kind and tender love. Wish that I could see you just once more, but that denial is also accepted by me without complaint. I am going home to that eternal home where we shall all meet again some day and these lines shall carry to you, should they ever reach you, the assurance that, although I exiled you, I have ever thought about you. Your father. I read it out loud in a slow, sing-song fashion. There seemed to be a spell cast over me while I read it. I had forgotten the old man sitting beside my desk, listening. I forgot all but the picture that the letter brought to me, an old man sitting at his table, writing his last message to a son he had not seen for many, many years. The contents of the letter, the part about the miser and the gold, never once held me. 
It was the idea that the little boy had been sent away by a miser father, that they had not seen each other for the long, long time. That was what made me feel so blue. When I had finished reading the faded manuscript, I looked up. The old man was sitting with a bowed head, his hands upon his cane, and I could see that he was weeping. For a few minutes there was a silence in the clubhouse. Then he raised his head. I could see the tears glistening on his lashes. Isn't it sad? he said with a shake of his head. Poor people, what a sorrow. Is there anything else I might do for you? I asked. But he hastily got up. No, I am a thousand times obliged to you, boy. He reached for the letter. I gave it to him, and he folded it up and put it back with the rest of the yellow papers, which he put into his pocket, and then he started to go. But before he reached the curtains that hung in the doorway, he turned. My name is Grillerio, he said. I hope you will not tell a soul what you have read in the letter for me. I got up and held out my hand. My name's Hawkins, I said. The fellows around here call me Secretary Hawkins, because I write down all that happens to our club. I'm sure you won't have to worry about me telling anything that I read to you in that letter. He took my hand in his, and the bony fingers shaking with age clasped my hand tightly. I am glad to know you, boy, he said, and then as he turned to go, We may meet again, perhaps. Some day I should like to repay you for the favour. And then he went out. I watched him through the window as he went down the river path, his uncertain step aided by the cane, and then he passed out of sight behind the green bushes that line the path. So here was the answer of the mysterious appearance of the old man in Lonely House. Gold was the thing that brought him back. That was plain to me. Grillerio was the name mentioned in the letter that I had read for him. Evidently, then, he knew that there was gold hidden in that old lonely house. A miser's gold. Plenty of it, the letter had said. But why was Grillerio hunting it? Was he perhaps a servant of the old miser? Yes, I figured so. He was a servant who had been trusted, and now when it seemed that the son would no longer claim it, he was making a go for the gold himself. That's what I figured out for myself. Ha! A mystery sure enough. Oh, if only I hadn't promised him I wouldn't tell. But the idea of honour came to me then. If this old man was really in search of hidden gold that did not rightly belong to him, wasn't it up to me to prevent it? True, I had promised not to say a word about the letter. But I hadn't promised him that I wouldn't search for the gold myself. No, not on your life. I hadn't promised him that. Not that I cared for the gold, but the hunt for it, and the seeing to it that it reached the rightful owner, was adventure enough to make me take a greater interest in the lonely house. So that when the skinny guy in Shadow Loomis asked me to go along for a canoe ride, I went gladly and suggested that we strike out for Banclick Creek 
we had a quiet trip, just talking nonsense and laughing. And when we reached the old dilapidated mill on the creek, I suggested that we paddle up a bit farther and take a look at Lonely House. That's where you'll run into Pooley and his boys, said Shadow. Don't you think they're afraid of it since they saw those haunted signs? I asked. Not much, Shadow laughed. Not in daytime. There's never any sign of ghosts in daytime, and Pooley and his fellas must have a meeting place. You'll find them there, I bet. But we didn't. No. We walked up the narrow path between the dead weeds, and burrs and stickers hung on my stockings, when we arrived at the old stable that stood a twenty yards from the lonely house. I'm going up, I said, and take a look at the front door. I want to see something. The skinny guy and Shadow came with me. We were joking and chatting as we went up the porch steps. But just as I reached the front door, it opened and a short, dark-haired man, with a little moustache and a short, pointed beard, stood before me. Well, he said, what do you want here? Excuse me, sir, I said. We didn't know anybody had taken this house. We thought it was still vacant, sir. It is, said the dark-bearded man quickly. And I am the real estate agent. You do not want to rent it, do you? He smiled a queer smile. Or perhaps you are thinking of buying it? We backed away from him. Something in the appearance of this dark-faced man frightened me. No, I said. I'm sorry we come to bother you, sir. We'll go as quick as we can. The door slammed in our faces as we backed away. We ran down the steps together, all three of us, as though we had really seen a ghost. Good Lord, said Shadow Loomis as we struck the gravel path. What's the matter with him, Hawkins? Did you ever see such a face and such eyes? I shook my head. Something funny's going on around here, I said. For the love of Mike, who's that coming? For we had seen another man coming towards us on the gravel path. He came from the stables. He carried a huge club in his hand, and there was a grin on his face. He was looking at me as he came. So you boys haven't learned enough to stay away from here, eh? He called to me. As he did so, he raised the club and shook it. Look a here, he continued. We don't want more of your meetings in the cellar of this house, you understand? No more now. I stepped forward. Excuse me, mister, I said, but I guess you mistake us for Pooley and his boys. They call themselves the Knights of the Square Table. They've been meeting every day in the cellar of this old lonely house, but not us. We've got a clubhouse to meet in, we have. The grin on the man's face broadened. He looked more like a tramp to me. His clothes were so greasy and dirty and he had not shaved for weeks, I bet. He looked like a hobo. Well, he said, it don't make no difference. No boys allowed here, see? You can tell all your young friends that this house is tooken. And we don't want no more boys hanging round here, you see? He raised his club again and shook it. But we sidestepped him and ran for the creek where we had left our canoe. There's something funny about all this, said Shadow Loomis to me, as we started paddling back home. Don't worry, said the skinny guy. I bet you we will find out all about it in a short time.
which we did. End of chapter 21.